0: This is Richard C. Wilson from the Family Office Club, and we're going to do a podcast interview. We're also going to be releasing this on YouTube, and it's with uh, SL uh, Van Der Zaden. Uh, welcome, SL.
1: Hello. Good to see you, Richard.
0: Uh, SL runs a firm called uh, Caprock Real Estate, and they're focused on retail real estate investing, with, and he's specifically equipped with distressed real estate investment experience, so I um, just want to give you a minute or two to introduce yourself a little bit further, SL, and then we can jump into the questions that I have here today.
1: Sure, okay. So um, something that's come in handy that most people don't know about me is that I'm a CPA because I had an account injury coming out of college, which, uh, and, I, and over the last 12 years as we will talk about, I've been a receiver on at least 100 assets, and having that background helps. To, especially when you have a bad actor uh, as a defaulted borrower where they play with the books and you know i can usually decipher that pretty quickly and help the, the lender get their arms around whether it's a bad asset or just a bad bad actor um so 12 years ago was 2008 2009 and obviously that was the beginning of, of the crash um we started our business then um and we we went through the entire cycle I mean, we still have a few now but in the last few years we've built up a third-party portfolio that we we manage for investors uh from outside uh the midwest uh coming yeah. here you know from the coast where the where the cap rates are lower so sure. um you know our focus um has turned into be retail as you mentioned um out of the five million feet we've done so far uh, three million feet is uh, retail and about a million feet each of industrial office and a 1,000 in multi-family units. So um, our footprint is the Midwest, the central US, whatever you want to call it, uh, we're headquartered in Chicago. So it's draw a big circle around it and that's that's where we do business.
0: Sure, sure. Um, So I've got a lot of questions for you that I'm curious about. First off though, I wanna make sure I don't confuse or lose anybody. When it comes to a couple of the terms. So the first term is receiver, you know, receivership or receiver. Can you define what that actually means in the commercial real estate world? So
1: in a foreclosure action, the lender is the plaintiff, obviously, and the defaulted borrower is the defendant. And the court um, needs an independent party to take care of the asset while the dispute is being fought out, whether whether, um, the court's going to allow the lender to take title to it or not. Um, and so that's where a receiver comes in so they they actually work for the court most people assume they work for the lender and yes the lender proposes who it's going to be and they you know they select who they want but the court can do anything they want but so you have to have this independence this sort of arms-length relationship with both parties and you you're effectively act as the owner of the property making all the decisions an owner would make more than just property management you know leasing you know, um, capital improvements, all those things that an owner would definitely have a role in. And so, um, for us, it's kind of fun because it's, you know, we have more liberty to do what we think is right for the property. Our philosophy is not just, um, stop the bleeding and, and, and hoard the cash flow, but look at how can you maximize the value when eventually you exit? Cause 95% of the time foreclosure goes through. And the lender ends up having to dispose of it. So, so okay. that's basically the role of the receiver.
0: Okay. And uh, can you define REO? Because that term is used a lot and thrown around. Yeah. It's a relatively simple concept, I think, but you can just yeah, decide what it's, that means.
1: It comes from banking. Um, for whatever reason, they decided to call um, buildings that they own real estate uh, owned. Um, and some use OREO, other real estate owned. So, but typically what they mean by it is the real estate that isn't their business property. It's the real estate that they acquire by default, defaulted borrowers, you know, being foreclosed on. And so there you don't have a receiver because that receivership ends when they take title. But most of the time, the receiver if they're doing a good job stays on as the manager until the property is is sold.
0: Okay. And right now with your investment firm, do you work with um, banks and offer services and solutions as kind of a, um, or are you focused solely on investment management and acquiring properties and improving them, et cetera? Okay.
1: So um, about two months ago, when our last acquisition cratered because of the pandemic, um, we've pivoted and revamped our receivership side because we had been very focused on uh, investor pro- managed properties and acquisitions that we then manage, you know, with our, for our partners. Right. So, so our focus um, w- is we do work with banks, uh, but most of our business has been, and we'll see how this cycle works, has been with what's called special servicers who are the managers of, of defaulted loans that are collateralized mortgage-backed securities. Um, because in that case, the the, lo- the notes are owned by a bond pool, so there's no one there. There, so um, in the documents they name a company that's going to manage it if it gets into default. So we've I'd say uh, two thirds of the receiverships have been with special servicers, and then another um, sixth or whatever with funds, and then the other with banks. So.
0: Uh, Even before the crisis, there is always some people going into default and and foreclosure. There's always a certain percentage, I would guess. Um, Obviously, I would guess that's gone up dramatically now, but I could be wrong. Um, Are you seeing just a lot of flow and a lot of actions already, or are you expecting that more in July, August, September, as PPP money dries up for the people who got the eight weeks of coverage at some point, that's going to dry up for a big swath of companies, or people are just going to run out of dry powder. 25% capacity after get, at being at 0% with some of these companies is not going to be enough to, to make payments, perhaps. What's your read on kind of what's going on right now? So
1: nothing's happened on the, own, the borrower side yet, really. The, the lucky ones have been able to, to negotiate a forbearance with their uh, lender, say, one to three months just like homeowners have been able to get that on their home mortgage. Um, But so there's that. So that's helped. Although out of my whole portfolio, it's only happened on one building that that, uh, we were able to get a forbearance. So it's not common, but um, the way I see it, um, lenders aren't ready to take that step to, to take ownership of the property because nobody knows where the bottom is and nobody knows what the world is like after that, particularly with retail, you know, where, where are the retail sales? Retail is going to be, there's going to be retail sales. That's not a question, but where are they going to be? Are they going to be more online, less in brick and mortar uh, curbside? You know, all that, all those questions have to be answered. So, uh, and you're right. The tenants have gotten PPP money and and other, other sources, uh, a good tenant the rent is less than 10% of their gross normal gross sales. So it isn't the biggest item on their on their list of expenses. So ones that are capitalized, um pay pay the rent. Uh we let in April we got between 60 and 70 percent of the of the rent, which is better than the industry, which is more like 40 to 50 percent. Um it and that's all really a question of what kind of tenants you have. There's the mom and pop Ones that may not have capital, and then there's right. the big guys who are smart, and they go, right. "This is an opportunity to to, to go gouge to the land landlord." And so the middle ones pay, and these two parties you have to fight with to uh, to get collect your rent.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when hearing you talk about that. I was thinking about how you know office parks have been hit, you know, pretty pretty rough as well. Um, you know, there's self storage, there's industri- industrial, but I know, we have our offices in a retail center. We're like basically in this retail strip mall area on on Key Biscayne. and it's interesting um, with investments you're looking at or are planning. do You see an arbitrage of taking these retail assets and making them into a self-storage asset, an industrial asset, an office asset, um, or you're more focused on making sure you have the blue chip anchors. They're going to bring the foot traffic to the other, um, you know, retail centers, or is it really case by case on the property?
1: Well, already there, there's been, you know, conversion of retail space to office, like suite by suite, you know, where you put right. medical use in, or you have any, you know, financial services and, uh, kids education, you know, like mathnasium and things like that. Sure. Um, and then you've got fitness, which isn't really a retail use either so the, the industry's already been in this sort of transition of, of many many types trying to focus on okay who's going to pay the rent who's going to be solid you know for the long haul and i think that's going to change as as we go through this whole cycle um uh, there's there's been a trend in the last few years of going from the online to the bricks and mortar and uh like amazon's doing that and, Warby Parker, and you can go on and on the list, Best Buy, whatever. They, right. they um, get a dramatic increase in sales by having that focus on, on putting some brick and mortar up to for people to be able to feel and touch and see and all that. Um, so I think one of the conclusions I've had already is we're going to focus on assessing the, the, the people with online presence and figuring out, you know, the ones that are going to doing a good job and they're going to survive. Because I think with that cash flow from the online, you know, it, it balances out better. It makes them a better quality tenant. So that's one of the things I'll be looking at as we go through. Okay, Fitness, which was very hot, man. You know, that's dead in the water in the pandemic. Because you got all these people together in a room, sweating and breathing heavy. It's not going to happen. So those guys, aren't right. fitness aren't paying rent. That's, you know they're just not paying rent because they're totally dependent on the membership fees.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Nobody has the right answer to this, of course, but you've got connections to, you know, default rates, you're looking at industry data and commercial real estate and retail. How rough do you think this summer is going to get with just what we know at this point? You know, we're recording this on the 22nd of May so you know something you say now is maybe different than someone hearing it a month from now or two months from now but um you know states are all working on an opening up plan everyone expects there to be kind of a second wave or flare-ups in different areas with the virus but a lot of investors are just in research mode and they just feel like wow maybe it's going to get much worse should I even be doing anything right now with my money and then others are like well we got to start investing now because if things correct then we're going to miss our chance to invest so kind of where's your team at on that that spectrum and like what's your get, when you're talking internally about what's going to be happening this summer you know early q you know q4 etc what's kind of your, your your consensus as a team
1: all right that's a tough one but yeah. um the the quick answer is it all depends on this fall and whether the virus comes back but let's for a minute just say it's not coming back then uh oh and backing up a step in cnbs world um the default rate hit the low to mid teens i think at the worst spot um right now they're officially you know a couple points you know one or two percent because because it takes time for the loan you know for them to stop paying for it but the file actually be moved to the special servicer
0: right
1: so it doesn't show up in the stats right away
0: Takes 10 12 weeks to show up maybe
1: Right. And, you know, assuming the states are successful, successful at reopening um, in the next month to two months. um, Things shouldn't get too bad. assuming tenants come back and start paying their rent. The default rate won't be bad at all. But if we go into the fall, either we haven't successfully reopened or it failed uh, and then or and or if we come into the fall and the the virus flares up um, And we're riding it for a whole winter. I think that's when it gets ugly. Whether that's ten or fifteen percent, I don't know, but it's it's going to deflate people's expectations and hope, and and I guess and also the lender side. You know, they're not going to say, "Okay, well, tomorrow's going to be a better day." They're going to say, "Oh no, this is this is real trouble."
0: Sure, sure. So you have this deep expertise in figuring out bad actor versus bad property. You also have this expertise in sourcing. Yeah, you know how to talk to the banks to say, hey, I want to see what REO or OREO deals you have on your balance sheet that you're looking to offload right now. And you'll know who to talk to at the banks and how to talk Mm -hmm. to them. And then also how to digest the deals. Um, I know you're focused on the Midwest. Uh, What else is going into your strategy? You know, besides those moving components that give you a real edge over people that are just hoping they source a distressed real estate deal from somewhere, versus having your knowledge and your system and your access, what else is going into your strategy in terms of uh, focus or what you'll do with the asset after you acquire it, uh, et cetera, that you could share here?
1: Okay. Um, The advantage of being a receiver is I'm, I'm seeing the asset long before it goes to market for sale, right? It's, it's in distress. So, which means, most likely you're going to be able to buy it at a good price um yes the best real estate isn't the first to go bad um but if you're undercapitalized uh, or lose a tenant or two uh, on a neighborhood strip center even even good properties can end up in in that pile um so you know you got to use your um you know all your due diligence knowledge and uh, and you know, in my case, the accounting knowledge to look at the books and figure out what's really happening there, to decide okay, okay, this is really a bad actor problem, and then is it a bad actor with a good property or a bad property? Um, and um, a ton of them are just bad properties. You know, it's whether they acted badly or not; they're just not good properties. And um, and then the good ones. Uh, they're too good. They they get snapped up before they even go into the foreclosure process. You know. So we the challenge for us right now at this point in time is it's been so long since the the last crash um, that a lot of the people that we worked with are moved on, got promoted, whatever. So right now we're using this time to reestablish the, or make new relationships. So we're working with attorneys and accountants and directly with the lenders and the workout people and build, building a Rolodex that we can work with once the defaults <laughs> are really happen.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And that keeps on coming up on our discussion panels on investor mandate interviews we're doing is that a lot of people are using this time not to just develop an investment thesis, but renew that team or that those tools or that Rolodex and plant seeds, whether you're trying to source deals or raise capital or Invest as a family office. Uh, if you're not doing anything right now, you're not going to be able to get much done this summer and the fall, perhaps, or at, no. least, at least not nearly as as much. You might have to have a hundred conversations so that you can actually be effective when you want to be effective. You know, whether you're trying to allocate or source, or whether you're trying to, um, you know, raise capital. It seems like now is the time to be taking a lot of actions to get ready for a couple of scenarios right. unfolding that no one can predict. Right. Right. And we're on
1: that capital front. We're um, assessing uh, investor equity sources that um, have a higher risk tolerance. They're willing to step up to the plate before everyone else is comfortable. Um, in, In many cases, that means paying cash, real cash for the property because the lenders aren't ready to make loans. But that's where the best deals are. That's gonna be the steepest discount because group of bidders is this going to be low or one, <laughs> you know, because there's not that many people that really can write checks. You know, obviously family offices can, but a lot of individual investors don't have that capability.
0: Right. Right. And what's the smallest size deal that you'll look at in this environment? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of potential opportunities to look at. It takes a while to get your arms around it. I mean, what, what type of uh, asset value dollar amount do you go down to?
1: Um, it's
0: easier to talk about um, dollar amount. Um,
1: Well, and I'll just talk about what values were two months ago, because I don't know where they're going to be at, you know, in a month or whatever, but basically 5 million to 50. I mean, you don't find that many assets that big. the last two deals we worked on were in the low twenties. So, um, and that, and those were like 125,000 feet. We, we don't do, um, big, big box centers. Uh, We stay in malls. We stay away from that because it's, very difficult to be flexible with this big box. You can divide it, it cost a ton of money. It's right. a lot cheaper to rebuild it.
0: Right, right, okay, makes sense. Uh, great, well, um, those listening that, you know, have a piece of deal flow, or they wanna trade notes, or actually, you know, go invest to work with SL in some way, and you know, obviously you can reach out directly. Um, before we give your uh, website, or whatever's the best way to get in touch with USL, do you have any other comments you wanted to fit in for today on? uh, an outlook or an insight or a strategy that, that I didn't ask you about perhaps?
1: Um, my strategy is to, is to be ready to buy and, you know, and to just service, um, it's a profitable business and it just keeps you in the flow. Um, so I'm hoping
0: one feeds the other and, and right. that's, that's the plan for now. Sure. Okay. Great. And um, how can someone get a hold of uh, Caprock and yourself if they want to uh, trade notes or they have a piece of deal flow or just want to share thoughts sure. on what's going on right now? Our,
1: our domain name is CaprockRE.com. R-E standing for real estate. And uh, SL at CaprockRE.com is my particular email address. So either okay. way, you can, you can find me on the website or just send an email.
0: Okay, great. And if anyone has trouble uh, finding their website or getting a hold of SL, just let us know. He's been in the family office club for at least two or three years. I'm not sure how long we've been getting to know each other, but we've seen each other in person probably a dozen times now. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And I appreciate you being part of it and contributing the thoughts here today. A lot of people are trying to figure out, um, based on different scenarios happening, you know, who to trust or how to navigate that and what they should be doing right now in real time when there is so much that's unclear. So I think a lot of people will find this helpful. Uh, especially going out on the podcast as well. So appreciate your time here today. Oh, no problem, Richard. Thank yeah, you. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.